I wasn't going to make an episode today, but I just said the Angelus because it's just now afternoon. I thought it would be a perfect time to talk about the Angelus, to recommend it if you don't have the habit of saying it yet. And it's fitting to do it today for a couple of reasons. First, because the Angelus commemorates the Incarnation. It's a daily or thrice daily devotional practice by which we commemorate the moment of the Incarnation, which is right after Mary said, let it be done to me according to your will to God. And at that moment, we believe that Christ was conceived in the womb of the Blessed Mother. And the second reason it's fitting to talk about it today is because today is the feast of St. John the Apostle, responsible for perhaps most well-known portion of the Gospels of the New Testament, or perhaps even of Scripture entirely, which is the prologue to his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he says a little bit later, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. And this is the last portion of the Angelus as well. So both because the Angelus commemorates the Incarnation, which is what we are doing during the Christmas season, and also because it uses the words of St. John the Apostle, whose feast we celebrate today. That's why we're talking about the Angelus. Now, those are reasons that we should start that practice if we haven't yet. It's a good time to do so during Christmas season. It can be a good, you know, people come up with these New Year's resolutions. That could be an easy one to fulfill. It used to be ubiquitous because in all of Europe, still, it's normal to hear church bells ring at the time of the Angelus, which is noon. But also, it's more traditional practice to do so at 6 a.m., noon, and 6 p.m., so to do it three times during the day. We don't really have church bells as much anymore in the U.S., so it's perhaps harder to get into the practice of the Angelus. You know, it used to be that when the bell rang at noon, people would stop what they're doing and say the prayer of the Angelus. And we'll conclude with the prayer of the Angelus later so that you know what it is. Perhaps you've even seen a famous painting called the Angelus, which is two farmers in the field with their hats off their head, and they're looking down. And in the background, you see church and the idea is that's a moment when they are stopping their work because the, te- the bell tolled noon and they are saying the Angelus. So it's a way to sanctify your day. And that's why it's good to do it three times and not just do it at noon because it sanctifies your day. It calls you to prayer at various points throughout the day, which we can easily forget to do because of our busyness. So sanctifying your morning, your midday, and your evening by recalling the Lord's incarnation, the humility shown in the incarnation that infinite God came from eternity to dwell among us. And just like we talked about in the episodes on virtue and on reverence, as human beings with bodies, we need these external habits to acquire a spiritual habit. So stopping what we're doing various times during the day and raising our minds to God or attempting to raise our minds to God in the midst of our work or whatever we happen to be doing, it habituates us to more constant prayer, that we ought to raise our minds and our hearts to God no matter what we're doing, that we can make anything into a prayer. And for us, it's easiest to do that by external habits, repeated external actions. And in the last portion of Angelus, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, we actually genuflect, if possible, when we say that. Another way to use our bodies to dispose our minds and our hearts to God. If you attend the traditional Latin Mass, this is how every Mass ends. After the final blessing, the priest says the last gospel. It's the altar card on the left on the gospel side of the altar, and this portion of John's gospel, the prologue, is said at the end of every Mass, and we genuflect at those words, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So again, a a bodily gesture that helps dispose our minds and our hearts to God. Just one last theological consideration that comes to mind. Why is it that the Word became flesh? Why is it the Son became incarnate? 
the second person of the Trinity, and not the Father or the Holy Spirit. Well, the whole Trinity is involved in the Incarnation in the sense that every action of God outside of the inner life of God is done by one divine power, one divine will, because God is one, there is one divine nature, one divine will, one divine power. And so all three persons created the soul and the flesh of the God-man. But it was fitting to the Son and not the Father or the Holy Spirit to actually be united to the human nature or to unite the human nature to himself more properly. Because in the inner life of God, if you recall from our episode on the Trinity, the Son is begotten of the Father, or it's like the word proceeding from the divine mind. That's how St. Augustine and St. Thomas kind of illustrated it. So the Son is begotten of, or in a sense proceeds from the Father, so it is fitting then that it's the Son sent by the Father into the world, and not that the Father be sent, or the Holy Spirit be sent in the same way. Now, of course, at, Pen at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was sent upon the apostles, and that's because the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. But since it is through the Word that God made all things, it was fitting that through the Word, that is the Son, the second person of the Trinity, that all things be recreated and redeemed. And since the Son is begotten of the Father, it's fitting that the Son be begotten in time and in history and be sent, it was more fitting that the Son do that. The sending of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost was more of the sending of grace into the hearts of the apostles. And that is a spiritual sending, a spiritual procession, whereas the Son's begetting was for the aim of recreating man, body, and soul. So this was an incarnate sending. So anyway, that's just a little primer on the Angelus and on and a further consideration on the Incarnation, which is what we meditate upon briefly during the Angelus. So what is the Angelus? Uh, it's easy to look up, but we'll just say it here to conclude the episode. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived by the Holy Spirit, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O most holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech thee, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of the resurrection, through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And by the way, the piece you're hearing during the background of this episode is called Ave Maria by Franz Bibel, B-I-E-B-L. It is a choral version of the Angelus, so I'd recommend downloading it. It's very beautiful, as you can tell, and I'll just let it play out to conclude the episode.